Good morning. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Welcome, glorious Goshen students, staff, and faculty. My name is Elizabeth Franksnorth, and I'm a junior English and education major. This morning, I am also the woman with the great honor of introducing the 16th president of our college, who is starting his ninth year of presidency. On any campus, it's an honor to introduce the president. But I feel especially honored because he happens to be a man that I know and see pretty regularly. Working in the administrative suite here at GC, I always appreciate the high five, smile, and welcome I get from him when we see each other. We are lucky enough to have a president many of us know and see more than just at our opening convocation. We are also lucky to have a president who willingly stands in fountains while wearing a suit and allows student leaders to pour ice water on him. He's been in rap videos, archived for our viewing pleasure, and danced the gangman style. In his spare time, when he's not entertaining the student body, Dr. Brenneman is an accomplished biblical scholar, author, and speaker with a wide range of interests, including theology, science, sustainability, and intercultural teaching and learning. Around campus, he has many nicknames, and he responds to most, if not all, whenever he is greeted on campus. The man I have the pleasure and honor of introducing is our very own Jimmy B. Please join me in welcoming President James Brenneman. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth, and what she didn't say is that she also will be the editor of the record for this fall season. So thank you for that nice introduction. I really appreciate it, and welcome to all of you. Welcome back, those who are re returning and those who are coming for the first time. A special welcome to you as well. I ended the summer almost perfectly this year. My son and I had a thousand-mile motorcycle trip throughout Michigan, and I learned what Robert Persig says in, in Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance as what true quality of life is all about. So I came back, I think both of us came back, pretty zen and mellow. So things are going well right now as well. I know that a lot of you had a great summer as well, from the Rocky Mountains all the way to Bethlehem, Israel. Some of you spent times in summer camps leading. Many of you did internships. Others of you uh, did all kinds of work, whether in factories or elsewhere. You, you spent your summer in a variety of vocations and, and interesting places, not least of which we welcome those back who are coming from Senegal, Nicaragua, and Peru, who spent their summer on the study service term there. So welcome back to all of you as well. I'm sure probably most of you didn't earn the $40,000 that three uh, college students in New York managed to find when they purchased for $20 a couch in a Salvation Army uh, thrift store, and there in the couch were bags of money, some $40,000. <laughs> wow, what a summer for them. Well, being true 
students of integrity. They first called their parents and said, what do we do about this? But then they, all, they decided they would find the person for whom it, uh, who had it, and it turned out to be a woman who was in the hospital, and while she was there, her children, she was going into a retirement home, and her children moved the couch and moved it to Salvation Army because she wouldn't be returning home at that time. So she was very grateful and gave each of them a thousand bucks. So, who knows? Keep buying that thrift store, those thrift store items. <laughs> I also heard some good news and some rather sad news as well about a major study that was done on 11,000 people this summer. 11,000 people, turned out, had high rates of uh, blood pressure, heart disease, onset, uh, onset diabetes, and other maladies of the, uh, the heart and soul, shall we say. And this study was done, it turns out that the cause of all of these difficulties was the eating of ramen, ramen noodles. Check it out in Time Magazine. <laughs> now, that, now the bad news is, for those of you who are women, the study said this only affects women. And so for men, you're off the hook. You now have your own man food, so eat, love, and pray your ramen noodles this year. You deserve it. Sorry, women, you'll have to cut down on that. Well, we've made a few changes on campus. As you may have noticed, follow the squirrel. We tried to consolidate some of the financial and student services all on Add One. We've, we've given you a little more privacy if you want to go for counseling or ministry uh, counseling or other kinds. Uh, that has turned now in the cult basement, and among other changes on campus. So keep your eyes uh, posted on the squirrel, and it will tell you where those changes are. Now, I'd like to focus for just a minute on some last words for you seniors. You're going you're gonna to hear a lot of last words, last experiences, now that you're seniors here at Goshen College. This, for example, is your last opening convocation. This is, I, I think, probably for most of you already who are here, I hope, you've already had your last first supper here at AVI Fresh. And nine months from now, you will have your last opportunity for us to hand you, well, not your, uh, that is if you finish all your work. <laughs> <laughs> we will hand you your diploma as you cross the stage for one last time in front of your students. And so, today, if you are a senior, I would like you to stand and let everyone else welcome you here today. Bravo. Thank you, thank you. We're already starting to miss you, but, and, and we look forward to... Uh, the life that you have in front of you. Now, if you're a sophomore, junior, we're glad that you're going to be around for a couple of years. And so will you stand and let us welcome you as well. Now, of course, we have uh, quite a few out there who are here for the first time at Goshen College as, as first years but also some of you are transfers, so the categories get a little mixed up. You may have stood before if you're a transfer student, but if you fit the category, first time being here at Goshen College, will you please stand and we will welcome you as well. 
it is, it is good to have all of you here. And I'd like to make a special introduction this morning of our new interim provost and executive vice president, Dr. Lee Snyder. She happens to be sitting out here. Welcome. We're glad to have you here, Lee. Thank you. And now for those wonderful people we call faculty, staff, and administrators, and all others who, who are, uh, have their arms around you through your experience here at Goshen College, will you please stand so that we can welcome you? Okay, everybody stand and let's sing our alma mater. Goshen College, we love you. Hello, everybody. I'm uh, Associate Professor of Music, Scott Hostetler. Welcome to all of you. Uh, we have our string quartet here, made up of Hillary, Jorge, Philip, and Ben, and they're going to play through the entire alma mater, so you get it in your ears, for those of you who don't know it yet. And then we'll sing verses one and two.
Wow, that was wonderful. Thank you so much. It's great to hear you all singing again. As you know, each year we focus on one of our core values for that entire year, to turn it over, to think about, to ponder. At Goshen College, we've expressed the core value, global citizenship, the one that we're focusing on this year, primarily in two ways. You'll often hear us talk about our desire to foster intercultural openness between people of differing worldviews, experiences, and ethnicities. And so for 120 years, we've been working hard at, at what does that mean to cross borders and to get to know each other, dignifying difference among peoples, understanding global citizenship as that of people-to-people -people diplomacy and intercultural relationships. Well, you'll get... You'll get a lot of that in your ICC, those of you who are new, your new courses, and, and on your study service terms. That is embedded here at Goshen College, and you hear about that aspect of what it means to be a global citizenship quite a bit here at Goshen College. It's the second understanding of what the core values global citizenship means that I wish to focus on today. Uh, in some ways, this understanding should really be the first understanding because it undergirds all other conceptual thoughts about what it means to be a global citizen. It should, in some sense, take precedence over all other considerations. To be a global citizen in this particular way of speaking about it is in its most radical form. It's at root. It's in the beginning. It's at the source. In its most primal understanding, it is to be a citizen of the earth and sky. To be a global citizen, first and foremost, is to desire, to experience, to understand, and to steward the many and varied multicultures, the biodiversity of the natural world around us. I want to suggest three postures this morning that we take as global citizens of the earth and the sky. To be a global citizen first, we must become the animals that we were born to be. Now by this, I don't mean becoming John Belushi's character, John Bluto Blutarski, in those sort of odd series called Animal House, the drunken degenerate in the seventh generation year of college student with a GPA of 0, 0.0. That's not the kind of animal I'm hoping we become. What I mean is, we must somehow regain the gift of paying heed to our directly felt experience of life, that throbbing, pulsating world around us and uh, going through us as well. David Abram, in his wonderful book called Becoming Animal, calls such intimacy with creation recovering an earthly cosmology. The incarnation of God that we talk about into material flesh, a central tenet of the Christian faith, should remind us that this so-called animal body of ours is a blessing. God declared it very good at the beginning. Indeed, for all its vulnerabilities, our human fleshly body remains the primary instrument of our knowing, just as the whimsical earth remains our primary cosmos. Actually, it's probably most truly the case that our primal sense of being animal our fleshly self-awareness, and the emergent feelings that we had over time of a transcendence 
are the first fruits of later notions of godly incarnations to begin with and not the other way around. The special but natural revelation of creation, in fact, precedes all special revelations to come, providing the baseline for their understanding, however profound that may be. Now, let me try to unpack that just a bit. I enjoy long conversations with Professor Emeritus of Art, Dr. Abner Hirschberger. Whether I'm in his home studio or at his home or on the, in a hallway, whether it's eating dessert with him or drinking coffee or anywhere else, Professor Hirschberger and I have interesting conversations about this notion. Professor Hirschberger uses the French term métier to describe vocations of perception, different ways we each have of perceiving the world around us. Abner goes on to describe the artistic impulse, the immediate awareness, the undiluted experience of art in almost primal terms. He almost can't do it because he, you don't have words to describe it, really, he says. He worries a bit that too often our inherited media, our conceptual framework, our intellectual rumination about matter and shapes and things and theology, and yes, even our intellectual ruminations about art itself might somehow isolate us from the intimacy of the experience of light and shadow, of color and shape. When most of us look at a shadow, for example, we see it as simply as a flat dimension in front of us, right? Casting, or maybe on the wall next to us. It, it's oftentimes we don't stop to think that there's a whole world, a three-dimensional world between us and that shadow on the ground that, that is incorporated in that shadow. And particularly on the mountainside, if you think about it, when, the, when a shadow, there's a three-dimensional shape that comes down from the mountain that covers a whole wide area of the earth like a, a massive skirt of shadow around us. It's in this three-dimensional shape there awakens a previously hidden but lively ecosystem a mosquito-laced, mossy-laden, dampened air cosmos that isn't there when the full sun is in play. Sitting in Dr. Hirschberger's home with its panoramic windows overlooking the glittery, sun-dappled woods, one can see and feel the moment-by-moment -moment changes that happen as the sun slowly moves across the sky. Each degree of the sun's movement while sitting there and watching, try it sometimes, creates a whole new living masterpiece in front of your eyes. Another way I experience this immediacy of nature, believe it or not, is on a motorcycle. Robert Persig, in his Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, by the way, he wrote the novel in order to, to look at particular uh, inquiry into values of life. He's right when he says, in a car, you've all, you're always in a compartment, and because you're used to it, you don't realize that through the car window, everything you see is just more TV. You're a passive observer, and it is all moving by you boringly in frame. On a cycle, the frame is gone. You're completely in contact with it all. You're in the scene, 
not just watching it anymore, and the sense of presence is overwhelming. I say amen to that. It truly is an awesome experience to enter the shadows of a line of trees across a country road and feel the temperature drop, and then when as you come out of the canopy, suddenly the temperature rises again. Or to come in and out of subtle, small, small smell zones, usually unnoticed in a car. I commend it to you as truly a metaphysical experience indeed. Don't tell your parents I commended that to you, though. <laughs> and then, of course, there's this wonderful revelation in nature of nature's kindness. But whatever else Darwin said about nature, red in tooth and claw, studies after studies are showing all the many varied ways of kindness that nature offers in itself. Not least of which is that wonderful, great whale car wash, I call it, that, that the whale goes through a school of cleaner fish, and the, the fish just whole bodies of whales go through this car wash, this whale wash, if you will, to get their bodies cleaned by these cleaner fish. Not least of which is the dying of trees who create loam to thicken the woods and filter the trickling brooks, or fire burning down forests as a gift to new life. All of these draw on the fact that nature, first and foremost, is about cooperation and it helps to create us to be kinder and gentler people. If you don't believe me, get a pet. <laughs> My dog Farley helps me be more kind and gentle. To be an earth citizen, a global citizen, then, we must first and as often as possible become animal-like in our senses and relationship to the earth and sky. However, let's not stop there. Secondly, we must also learn how to better eavesdrop on creation to listen and learn from the rocks and trees, the skies and seas, as we sing in the hymn, and everything in between. As citizens of the earth, we must learn to appreciate how late we have come as humans to the party of creation. If millions of eons before human beings were ever formed or shaped in creation, what was it like for God and nature to sit down at the table and have a conversation with one another without any humans around? What might we hear God say to us when we hold that conch shell to our ear in the middle of Indiana, or in the middle of a desert for that matter, and hear the echo of billions of gallons of ocean whispering to us? What might a thousand species of microbes living on and inside us say to us about interdependency and diversity and survival? What might the wind scaffold unfolding beneath an eagle's spread wings in a thousand-foot vertical drop Say to faint, weary, worn walkers on planet Earth, if you want the experience, there's now a YouTube video that has a, a little uh, camera on the back of an eagle, and you could actually feel and experience the soaring of an eagle and that vertical drop along the side of a mountain and the swooping back up. It's a sensation you want to live for, not die for. It should not strike us as odd then at all that Jesus once taught his disciples to trust in God by listening to what the sparrows and the lilies of the field might teach us. Nor should we think it odd that the book of Proverbs points to the lowly ant as a prime example of the value of work 
Or the psalmist notices that the trees of the field clap their hands, that the hills and the mountains shout for joy, that the sun, moon, and stars declare the glory of God. And what about that talking donkey and that devilish serpent? The new interdisciplinary field of science, engineering, and technology called biomimicry is a wonderful example of eavesdropping on creation. It's also another example, by the way, of of scientific modesty. What do engineers, sophisticated scientists and engineers, have to learn by listening carefully to creation? They're trying to imitate now nature's best ideas to solve human problems. Stop and think about it for a minute. In the structure of a tree, countless millennia of natural engineering has gone into creating an amazing system of hydraulics that brings water up from the ground against gravity to the tippity top of the tree with what seems like little or no effort. We have no comparable human-made system of hydraulics that is as simple and as effective as that of trees. What do we have to learn from trees? More encouraging today, mimicking nature has helped to create non-toxic adhesives inspired by how a gecko sticks to the ceiling or mollusks adhere to rock underwater. I had the privilege of hearing the billionaire uh, industrialist Ray Anderson speak a few years back, and he turned his whole industry, his whole company called Interface around to create, he overhauled it to create um, carpets, non-toxic, green-inspired carpets, and he borrowed his designs of his carpets straight, he sent his engineers straight out into nature to discover the designs. And he's making a lot of money. His carpets line the halls of our student apartments and other places on campus as well. Self-clean, and if you want to know all about it and more, go to biomimicry.com. And I mean, it just will inspire you if you're a budding engineer or scientist about how we can learn from nature. Self-cleaning surfaces on high-rises without the use of detergents have now been built that mimic the self-cleaning surface of a lotus leaf. And on and on it goes. A biodiverse and multicultural natural world is the key to the Earth's survival and that of our own. The more species of animal or plant we kill off or lose, we are potentially losing out on the solution to complex human problems just waiting to be solved. Perhaps it's time, as I once heard him, uh, one person say, for a quiet human cleverness, to quiet our human cleverness, to learn from God's cleverly designed universe. Global citizens need to listen to what creation is telling us become animal in our perceptions, listen to what creation is telling us, and finally, be earth and sky citizens that paint the world green. At Goshen College, we have 50 shades of green and more. A green Goshen College is a core value worth our deep and abiding commitment as global citizens. As just one of two presidents in Indiana to sign the American College and University President's Climate Commitment Initiative eight years ago, our goal was simply to reduce our carbon footprint, to reduce carbon emissions that threaten the planet's ecosystems, its economy, 
and our very lives. As of last year, we voluntarily began purchasing all of our electricity from renewable energy sources such as wind, solar power, and others, reducing our carbon footprint by 45%. Because of our commitments, we actually pay less and consume less energy overall than ever before, even though our physical footprint is larger than it was 25 years ago. Our Ecological Stewardship Committee, made up of faculty and students and others, guided by Glenn Gilbert, our Goshen College of Sustainability Coordinator, and many others on faculty and many of you as students, lead us into greener pastures every year, whether from recycling, uh, whether it's through purchasing eco-friendly furniture, carpeting, custodial supplies, recycling our cooking oil for use in our lawnmowers on campus, for many of you students, built a solar-powered hot water heater for the RFC. You turned some 20 acres on campus into native gardens. We used 700, some 700 monitors all over campus to regulate our light, gas, air condition, and heating usage. And of course, we have the crown jewel of Goshen College, uh, uh, that 1200, near, nearly 1,200 acres called Mary Lee Environmental Learning Center, where earth and people literally do meet day in and day out. And many of you first years were, had that experience already, and others have already been there many times over. These and many more examples, and by the way, go to the web, front web page and go to, uh, go to Go Green Goshen link, and you just expression after expression of profound ways that describe our deep commitment to the core value of being global citizens of earth and sky. We're grateful to have been recently acknowledged by the Sierra Club as among, among the top cool colleges for environmental stewardship. To be named almost, by the way, almost in the same week, certainly in the same several weeks, but to be named on two different uh, surveys as the, top, the third best Christian college and among the top green colleges in the nation in the same breath, if you will, is a beautiful testimony to the breadth and depth that this year's core value has at a Jesus-centered liberal arts institution like Goshen College. In the spirit of our core value of becoming global citizens, citizens of the earth and sky, I will let creation have the last word. Since the dawn of time, every culture has told a version of the story of the dying and the rising of the sun. The sun goes down in the west, and it rises in the east. Nature invited us, induced in us as humans, the question, how does the sun get from one side of the world to the other? Some stories answered that question by claiming that the sun went sort of on went traveling. After all, it went down in the ocean. So the thought was somehow it had to get back across underneath the earth and fight off the Chthonian deities that were down there, fight off all the principalities and powers of darkness that were under there, sort of like Harry Potter, you know, in the uh, fighting off, off the basilisks uh, or the dementors, fighting them off and until the very end, you don't know whether it's going to survive. And then at the very end, 
Sure enough, the sun rises on the east and comes once again into our visual parameter. The story resonates with us even today, even though we know since Copernicus that it is the earth that moves around the sun while the sun stays still. It was this ancient cycle of dying and rising sun. Out of, this is the metier. This is our perception of life. Whether we know the actual scientific truth behind it, we do know, we feel, we perceive that the sun rises and sets. It's a part of all of our lives. It's this ancient cycle of the dying and rising sun out of which every other dying and rising death and resurrection story has ever been told. God, the great creator of life, provided for us a natural revelation that woos us to think about the deeper meanings and truths of life. Once again, it was the first, the natural, special revelation of creation that provided the mental structures to even understand the concept of resurrection that is key to the understanding of the later Christ story. Creation first proclaimed loudly and clearly that darkness will not last, that even if the sun goes down, even if it sinks beneath the sea at the end of the world, even if it hides beneath the earth for a while, it inevitably will rise again. It's this story that I hope will resonate with you today as it does to me, because all of you, like all of us, will experience life here at Goshen College, sometimes at its high points, but sometimes at its low points. And we need to know the story that the sun will rise again. Creation is blessing you and me with a promise that no matter the difficulty, the hardship or pain, no matter what trouble may come, the sun will rise again, and so can we. In that heavenly sign, I am confident. As a response to these comments that I've made, it's fitting that the parables, our worship ensemble for this year, has chosen to sing a wordless, rhythmic, African-inspired hymn entitled Sandoya Santo. Let us, each of us, eavesdrop on them as their voices lead us into that sacred, holy sound of creation. Amen.
Thank you, Parables, and thank you, Dr. Brenneman. My name is Beverly Lapp. I'm director of the core curriculum and professor of music here at Goshen College, and um, in that role with the core organizing convocation this year, which will be along with chapel on Wednesdays in this space. Right now, we are going to take part in a great tradition here at Goshen College, the first uh, Wednesday of the semester applause tunnel to welcome all of you to campus. We'll exit these two double doors um, that I'm pointing to, and Ross Peterson Veach will be at the one on my right, and Jason Samuel over here on the left, and they will help you form the tunnel that will run out the sidewalk towards the ad building, and it will be a wonderful display of our community, and um, we will proceed first with the faculty, and then I'll dismiss you um, ending with our first-year students. So, faculty and staff and administrators, I invite you to exit first. And seniors, you may follow. You'll notice there's a little more room on this side if any of you want to go there. Juniors. Sophomores. Sophomores, a few of you could zip over here, perhaps. And now, most important of all, first years, you may join the exit. 